discussion night tonight. I'm trying to look at tables. Looks like we got some guys at all of the tables. We can everybody slide in there. Okay. I think Josh is coming to yours. We'll fill in there. Okay. You guys need one there. Um, Jeff, can you slide to that table right behind you? Give them a hand there. Yeah, you, Jeff Rains. <laughs> can, can you slide to that table behind? I'm trying to see if we got... Um, maybe Hayward's coming. He can hit your guys' table back there. We'll, we'll, everybody else have... Okay, I think we all look like we got somebody here. Um, we... We missed last month on our discussion because it kind of hit during Thanksgiving. We try to do it every third week. Next week, we have a, a great Christmas program, and I'm just going to speak for 15, 20 minutes at the end uh, of that. So I thought we would go and look at this text that Brian, Pastor Brian read tonight, um, and I didn't finish it all last week, but I, I thought we could finish it in some, some discussion. Um, and I really enjoy when you guys get your hands on the text and start working as a table together to answer some questions uh, to think through this. Um, as you remember, last week, this was the passage that we started with, the death of Abraham. And just we talked in t- extensively at, at the length of life that God gave him, all the marvelous things that God did through him, but yet his failures with the grace and mercy that God had given him. And then we, we saw where it's really the last time, and for the first time in many years, you see um, both Isaac and Ishmael together. Um, as they bury their father. Then we started into the birth of these two sons. Um, Rebecca is barren for uh, 20 years, I believe the text says, and it's the same old thing. You're going to have this promise. There's going to be the seed that's going to come through. You're going to have a nation of all these uh, that will number the stars of the skies, the sands of the seas, and yet she can't get pregnant. Um, And God, again, is proving that I'm going to do this. You are not going to do this. I will have the glory, and I'll do it my way. And the God's way is, is of course, always better than um, our ways. Um, but uh, there's a wrestling in the old tum-tum of Rebecca. <laughs> As remember, there's something going on, and she is very disturbed by it. And so the Bible says that Isaac prayed for her. She got pregnant. She begins to have this battle within her womb that's going on, and she goes to the Lord. Remember, we talked about that. She, the, the wording, the Hebrew wording, gives the idea that she, she somehow left. She, she went on a journey to inquire of the Lord what's going on. And in that inquiry, she receives a great prophecy from God that there's two nations in her. And it's going to be very different than the way man does things. The younger will lead uh, the older, and the older will serve the younger. And so it's a great prophecy that Jacob is going to be whom the seed is going to come through and be given um, all, of, uh, all of the birthrights, the title of the family, and so forth will come through him. Um, and then the kids come, and as Brian read, um, Esau's born, but Jacob is right behind him, and he's got a hold of his heel. Uh, and the, the Hebrew words has kind of an idea of it. He's a heel grabber. <laughs> so he's hanging on like, hey, look, uh, I'm going to be before you, just like God said. And uh, and, and again, then Jacob's out in the field, and uh, his dad wants to, you know, excuse me, that later on, he comes in, he's famished because he's been pretty consumed with himself, and we're going to look at that tonight in your questions, and Jacob really, truly takes advantage of that, uh, though God had already promised. And so, what we're going to do tonight is look at seven questions at your table. I want you to discuss these through, um, you, at least one of you guys at each table kind of lead the discussion. Work through these things. In verse 28, what kind of problems were produced from favoritism, right? Certainly, it says in that verse 
that there's favorites being taken. And there's great problems. And I want you to think through that. Think a little bit down the road. We'll get to these in the next chapter. What, what problems are, um, how favoritism can be a difficult thing. And then with just a practical question. What happens when parents do favoritism today? Does that happen? And, and think through those things. And then um, number three, according to verse 25 through uh, 22, excuse me, chapter 25, 22 through 26, why was it necessary for Jacob to entice Esau with, um, uh, why was it necessary to entice him with a bowl of stew in order to obtain the birthright? And so we want you to think through that. Was that necessary? Did he need to do that? Look at those verses. I think you'll find the answers in them. Four, what promises has God given that believers often neglect and attempt to fulfill themselves? So I want you to think a little inner perspective here. What are the things we know God has said, but we try to go out ahead of him and try to fulfill things ourselves, right? Um, be open and transparent at your table. Share some areas that you go, wow, I don't trust the Lord on this. Even though he says in his word this, I often don't wait for him. There's problems that come with that. Number five, what does this, what does this text teach us about the uh, sin of passion and the sin of quiet deception? Those brothers are very different, aren't they? And, and, and we'll, we'll come back at this, hope you'll pick up on this, and we'll discuss the difference. Now, um, Jacob's sin's kind of right, I mean, excuse me, Esau's sin is kind of right out there, right? He's very passionate, he comes out. Jacob's a little different. And, and if you, you know, uh, uh, maybe you have a child that's, <laughs> he, he's right out there on his sleeve and the other one isn't. Uh, is there sins in those different ways? We know how passive sin leads to certain things, but... Um, Passionate sins lead to problems, right? So we'll talk, think through that a little bit, okay? Think about the difference between Jacob and Esau's sin if you see that in the text. And then according to verse 34, particularly at the end where it says, thus Esau despises birthright. And then I want you to read Hebrews chapter 12, that little text there. Why would Esau sell this important birthright? And so the answer's in the Hebrews passage. It's going to give us a little more commentary to what was going on there. But look at that passage and, and write down some answers to them. Then finally, number seven, if the context of Hebrews 12 is God's loving discipline of his children, why would Esau be used in the text? So I want you to think through that because the text in Hebrews 12 is about disciplining the children he loves. But Esau appears and becomes an example in that text. And it may not be disciplined. So I want you to work through that together. So um, somebody take the lead at your table. Let's get the discussion going. I'll come back in in another half an hour or so and we'll, we'll, we'll get some answers out. Okay, we'll, go, we'll, just, we'll work through those questions together and see what you learn together. So um, all right. No, we could probably talk much longer about this passage, but let's uh, let's chat about this a little bit um, here and here are some of the answers you you got as you went through this. In verse twenty-eight, number one, what kinds of problems were produced from favoritism? This is a fairly simple one, but give me what what came about? Why what what problems do we see here? Somebody, some table, raise your hand. Jealousy came about, right? What else? Deception. Yes, Jan. Animosity. Tension. That's probably a really good word there. There was tension in this home um, because of Jacob and Rachel's handling of these two children. Now, Rachel's may have been a response of trying to um, maybe make up for what uh, Isaac failed in, um, but um, 
But nonetheless, we see, and we're going to see in coming chapters, that she is going to concoct another plan that I think she possibly might be behind this one, or at least Jacob is very much involved in some deception here, um, to try to trick Dad and Esau again. So um, we see tension. There's a tension in this family. Now, what number two, where do we, what kind of problems can we see in today if we do this? Right? Same things? Yeah. And, and what, does that, what does that look like as the kids get older? Division, in the, division between family members, tension at Thanksgiving, all those kinds of things. Sean? Yeah. Success. Um, uh, anything from athleticism to finances to something like that where you're, uh, you can be proud of one and fail to build the other up and just creates very, very much tension within the family and um, realizing that the psalm says that the children are a gift from the Lord, all of them. And as parents, you, many of us are parents or have maybe some of you have already raised your children, you, you sometimes look at this and you go, Ugh, I think I made some of those mistakes. And um, the tensions that come about in that. And, you know, I would challenge you as you think through something like this. When the Lord exposes maybe something that you failed in in the past, to do what you can to reconcile those things. Um, there's never too late to sit down with a son or daughter and say, you know, son, would you forgive me? Um, you know, because the, the outcome, as we'll see in this story, is devastating. Um, and, and, and again, maybe you didn't, but... but, but it's something to be aware of, and maybe a lot of you younger parents that are in here, there's a lot of you in here um, are preparing to have children or have children already. Um, you think, well, we would never do that. Yeah, you might, because some children are a little more, as we see, passively sinful, and some are passionately sinful. But they're all sinful. You know, they're not angels, they're fallen angels. So uh, you remember that as you deal with them. So uh, just some good, good, just practical wisdom here. Moving along, number three, according to Genesis 25, 22 through 26, why was it unnecessary for Jacob to entice Esau with a bowl of stew in order to obtain the birthright? God already ordained this, right? Um, and, it, and, it, and it seems that though the narrative doesn't tell us, we would have... We know that wasn't kept secret, right? You know, it wasn't hidden a corner uh, of what was going on. That God had, even in the womb, had set these two apart. And we'll get in in coming weeks as we get to, to the next big tension area to wrap our minds around uh, Romans chapter 9, which is a quote from Malachi 1 that God says, you know, Esau, uh, Jacob I've loved, Esau I've hated. So we're going to understand that both nationally and salvifically of what that means. We'll look at that. Um, but at the same time, we begin to understand that this was unnecessary. God would have taken care of this. Right? Anybody else had any one thing you want to add to that? It was a pretty pat answer. Yeah, Jan. Yeah. Uh, there's a possibility, however, you know, these, these probably grown men now. Um, and 
uh, with the verse in verse 28 where it's clear that Jacob, uh, Isaac favors Esau and uh, Jacob is kind of clinging to his mom. And further, we're going to get farther along in the text and realize that they're even older and Jacob's very much still holding on to the skirt of his mother in a lot of ways. We, we begin to realize there's this pretty obvious uh, that we would believe they would know that. But at, even at that what we're trying to discover is at the heart of, of people, whether, and we'll get into this with a, when you start to think about God's elective um, salvific work that he does, that there's still a lack of trust on our part often. And, and we see that, uh, of course, in the text. For what promises has God given that believers often neglect and attempt to fulfill on them, uh, themselves? This is a little more personal here. Who, who answered this one? And, and how do we not believe that? Yeah. Yeah. Hand back here. Kyle. Yeah. Boy, we do a lot of time worrying about that, don't we? We fret over homes and clothing and budgets and all kinds of things. We... We lose sleep, we lose trust in the Lord. How often over those simple things in life that God has promised us? That's a very good one. Anybody else? Yes, Dan. Yeah, you got to try to help God. You know, God, you, you said this is going to work out for good. You're not doing a good enough job, so I'm going to step in here. <laughs> right? We do that all the time, don't we? And yet God's purposes always don't look like the way we would draw them out, but he's the one who's perfect, we are the imperfect. And, and again, we all wrestle with these things. This is what Christian life is about, trusting God. Trust and obey, there's no other way, right? Learning to say, God, I can't see where you're going here. This is a difficult view for me, but I have to trust you. So again, this is what we wake up, pray, read our Bibles, trust our Lord, have, have faith in him. And we see the result all through the scriptures of lives that fail to do those things. Yes, Mike. Yes. Certainly, I don't know if you all heard that. There is a human responsibility all the time in life. We have a human responsibility. God allows us to live obedient lights. You do need to get up and go to work and provide for your home. <laughs> the Bible also talks about a lazy glutton, right? Not a lot of good things said about that guy. Um, so there is a human responsibility. And again, that's, that's trusting the Lord, right? Lord, you've given me life and breath. You've given me a job. Help me be a good steward. Really what we're talking about, Michael, is stewardship of the things God has given. But stewardship is built on who you trust yourself into. And when you fail to trust God, you will fail to be a steward of the things he gives you. And that could be a spouse, uh, children, jobs, all kinds of things. So stewardship is a big thing when it comes to the care of the things God has given us. Five. What does this text teach us about the sin of passion and the sin of quiet deception? I know that's a little bit tricky there, but let's think through that. Did anybody get where I was going with this? Apparently nobody. <laughs> Brian. 
Yeah. Barb, did you want to add something? Yeah, you probably can't all hear that, but let me add that to Hang on to that thought, Elizabeth. Um, there's some real interesting words which wouldn't maybe have your Hebrew Bible in front of you to see it, but this word cooking up is an actually interesting word in the Hebrew. Do you know it's used in other places to mix poison? Oh, that sounds a little interesting that maybe this little sinful deception here may have been a plot. We, again, it's a narrative. We don't want to read too much into it, but we begin to realize that part of it, it could be, it's often a term, the root of this word often is used with proud. So there was a secret pride behind that, possibly, that he was after. And so here you can see the scenario. Here comes Esau, who probably has been demanding all his life, right? He's the powerful firstborn hunting son. Dad loves me more than you. Give me some food. Well, Esau's ready to jump on that passion, isn't he? And he almost seems that he may have a trap set. Um, and he sees his brother's impulsive behavior, and Esau's um, caught up in this sinful passion, and Jacob's going to spring this trap. The mild stay-at-home guy might be springing a trap here to take what he probably knew what God was going to give him. Some other words that are in there, he says, um, there's a legal terms here, uh, sell me your birthright. There's a legal transaction he's after here. He's got a guy on the ropes, right? Mr. Powerful is now in his hands. His passion has become so great that he says he's starving to death. How many of your children come in, Mom, I'm starving. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Doesn't look like we're going to make it because dinner's an hour out. You know, (laughs) you're probably not going to live. You know, that's you know, we know Esau wasn't dying, right? And yet, he's willing to give all these things up. So there's uh, Jacob ready to pounce on this thing with this legal statement, sell me your birthright. And then to double down, he wants him to take a legal oath. And he says in the next verse, verse 33, swear to me, give me a legal oath. The trap is set. And uh, he's using um, the passion of this uh, older brother. Um, red. Did anybody catch things red? Um, Brian's. I don't know what translation. What translation were you reading when you? That Holman one or Christian? Yeah, um, it's a good translation. Uh, the word red is an interesting word in the Hebrew words. It's red. His name is red. The Edomites are called red. The stew is called red. And you begin to go, well, what is this about? Well. It seems to be a reflection of Esau. The Bible says he's covered with red hair when he's born. He seems to be red hot passionate about things, right? Give me some stew now, you know. It seems to really point to him in a lot of ways. The point I'm trying to make is as we deal with our children or our own sin, right? Some of us, you know, we're the guys that if I'm in sin, you're going to know it. (laughs) I, I just wear things on my sleeve. It's the way God made me. I'm, I'm very transparent, you know, but there's others that they may be in just as deep a sin and you won't know it. Um, and I think one of the things this, this text establishes that God is not saving the line of Jacob or a particular person because of their personalities or their outward behavior. 
He knows the hearts of all men and women. He knows the hearts of all people. And he saves wretched sinners. And one thing is you study the life of Jacob, because it's not going to get better, is it? He's showed favoritism. Um, excuse me. He, he, was, he had favoritism shown against him. So what does he do down the line? Remember a kid with a coat with lots of colors? Remember what it did to his brothers? We're going to see this. Remember the cause, and then it trickles down, and then all, um, Jacob, uh, Jacob thinks that Joseph is dead, so he won't send Benjamin down to get his brother out of prison. He's going to repeat the sin of his father that he hated so much. He's going to do it. In the na- and God's in all of this, protecting the nation, protecting um, the, the line of Judah, right? Because Judah, he is not a very godly man. And God in his sovereignty is going to protect all the way through these people that are an absolute mess. It gives you a lot of hope that, Lord, I'm glad you're in this because it would have left it to these guys. Same true with your own salvation. If God would leave it up to you, if free will was really true, you're never going to get there. Yeah, back over this table, Elizabeth. Um, you guys want to add? Yeah. 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 You may not be able to hear. He said something very, very good there. This could have been decades leading up to this sin. Laying in wait. Um, where Esau's just out there. He's marrying women that his parents are just hurt over it. He's just out there. But Jacob has secretly, possibly, not knowing everything in this narrative, but possibly waiting and waiting and waiting for this. And, and so we begin to understand the point is that there's nobody innocent in here. Jacob is not chosen over Esau because he's firstborn and he's a good guy. He's not firstborn and he's not a good guy. <laughs> Left to himself, he's a wretched sinner that deserves the, hell, the fires of hell, like all of us. And yet God brings the nation through him. Um, we've got to wrap this up, but six real quickly. According to verse 34 and Hebrews 12, 14 through 17, why would Esau sell this important birthright? What's that last little phrase in verse 34? Thus Esau despised his birthright. Is that a problem? Why would that be a problem? Okay. That's a very good answer. He, she said he could care less about the things of God. Firstborn was really something God put into their culture and became very much a part of the biblical narrative and biblical life all the way down. In fact, we looked at, remember, we looked at last week of the importance of firstborn. Jesus Christ is called the firstborn, not that he was born, he was not, he's an uncreated being, but he dressed himself in humanity, and that's where so many people get, get led away, but the term firstborn is used that Jesus Christ was given everything. He's the protoss of all things. He's control of all things, just like the firstborn. Remember we read that, that, um, I, uh, that Abraham gave his sons gifts and sent them away, but he gave what? Everything to Isaac. That's, that's what God has done with Jesus. Because Jesus died on a cross, went to the point of death, even the death of a cross, God gave him everything. 
So and when that verse we see there, it, it, he despises the things of God. Now, Hebrews adds a little more light on that. Did you know this passage was here in chapter 12? What did you pick up from that in Hebrews chapter 12? Justice, okay. Okay, so, so the text is about discipline there, that God disciplines his children. Why does he bring Esau into it? Yes, Bill. Yeah. So chapter 12 is, of Hebrews 12 is using him as one who isn't the child of God. Right? And then the last question, because we're out of time, if, if the context of 12 is about God's loving discipline of the children, why would Esau be used in the text? Because with the difference between people who belong to God and people who don't is the term repentance. Notice there in the last verse, verse 17 of Hebrews 12, there was no repentance. Though he sought it with tears, there was no repentance. His heart was hardened, and God is able to look at that. And so this is why we're not saved because of our tears. We're saved by faith that leads us to repentance. Faith must always precede repentance, because you don't repent on your own. You may produce tears and feel bad about things you did, but you don't repent if it isn't the grace of God who makes you a child. And thus Hebrews Hebrews chapter 12 is about about God disciplining his children, and he's using that text to show that Esau was not his child. Because if you're his child, guess what you do? You repent. And and Esau's heart was hard and never repented of that. And though we see him kind of get along with Jacob, we'll see that later, meets him and, you know, after he told him he's going to kill him and all kinds of things, we still see a very prideful, arrogant man the rest of Esau's life. So no repentance um, really proves that. And, and I, that passage in Hebrews is a pretty cool passage, isn't it? It shows you he's immoral and godless. Godless. There's no way you can put Esau in the kingdom of God in heaven. Not with those terms. Yes, Bill? I didn't hear that. Oh, <laughs> I should add another one. They probably did, um, uh, despite not knowing that. But um, all right, well, good study tonight. These are fun. I hope you had a good time at your table and and uh, good discussion there. We'll keep doing this. We're we're preparing for small group ministries that we can learn to discuss and and uh, have a good time together in the Word of God. So let's pray. We'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for this time together to study and look at this text. Thank you for the good discussion that happened at the tables. Lord, we pray that we would um, be men and women, young people, uh, boys and girls uh, that know Christ, that have, by your grace, come to faith, have repented of our sins, Lord. And then that we would recognize sinful passions or even quiet deception sin, Lord, that uh, often is found in our own hearts, Lord. That we, like Hebrews 12, would see the disciplined hand of God and repent of those things. And Lord, we don't want to be like Esau, who though there were tears, there was no repentance for what he had done. And so Lord, we pray that you would uh, cause us to love you more, walk with you. Father, finally, Lord, we do pray for family members in this room. I imagine there's many in our families that don't know Jesus Christ. They have not repented of their sins.
And maybe their sins have outward control of them. Maybe their sins have inward control of them. Uh, we beg you for their repentance. Grant them faith so they can repent, Lord, and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that during this holiday season, we would be examples of Christ. We would be those who forgive quickly and are loving and kind in all of our actions. And may they see Christ in us. And may we be ready to share the great forgiveness found in Jesus Christ alone. Lord, thank you for our lesson tonight. Be with these dear brothers and sisters. Safe trips home. Bring us back together soon. In Jesus' name, amen.